Hello, church family. Well, here we are, the very last chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Uh, I've done Esther, Ezra, and now Nehemiah has come to a close. Um, so this is kind of like a, a cool thing for me to be able to teach through the last eight months uh, through these three books, as well as some others in between. Um, it's just, again, as a way for us to refocus our mind on a daily basis to who God is. And, um, yeah, just wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, we just continue to always think about the Lord, especially during this time of the pandemic where we can be so distracted with everything that's going on in the world and the media and entertainment, whatever it may be. Uh, I just always want to do this so that at least a part of your day you can be thinking about uh, things of God and what's revealed in His Word. We think about momentum, uh, you know the phrase, keep the momentum going. Uh, that phrase is often used when um, either someone try to catch up to something or or someone's having a, um, almost like a stride and they're doing well. So that uh, uh, you would hear this phrase, keep the momentum going, meaning that you just keep going and then there's more and more success. Uh, if you ever watch certain sports, I know our churches. Uh, has certain allegiances to certain teams, but I'm not. So I'm not going to uh, name any teams in particular. But I, I remember there are some teams that played recently that uh, started off really well, and because of whatever for whatever reason, the other team uh, end up catching up and then beating the other uh, one of these teams. Uh, I'm looking at again one of a Bay Area team that shall be remain uh, nameless. And you have to imagine what it was like for this team, this football team in particular, that like in halftime they were losing badly and the other the winning team was all like cheering and excited. But then as the third and fourth quarter came in, they the, the one of the teams started catching up the losing team beginning started getting more and more steam and they started getting more and momentum until the point where uh, they ended up beating the other team that was winning in the first half. Um, and we know that this is just a general thing in life. That momentum is good. Momentum is is used and oftentimes can help us achieve great heights in whatever field we're in, and whatever we want to accomplish. It, it helps us in that way. Uh, it keeps us focused and energized and excited. Um, but you know, sometimes when we think of these uh, worldly things like sports or even your own work and career and things like that, oftentimes we don't think about that in terms of our spiritual walk. Um, sometimes in our spiritual walk, we do have moments where there's these bursts of excitement uh, to hear God's word or we hear a good message that just moves us and there's a momentum that begins, but we don't really keep that momentum uh, and it usually stops because of some sort of sin in our life. And that's what we see here. Uh, in this, At the end of this book, the Israelites were in a good place. They were um, back in the land. They have a temple. They have um, a priest. They have God's word. It seems like everything was going well. And they have this momentum going to be able to go back and be established in this land. And because of God's good hand and faithfulness, they were able to to continue. Problem is, they failed. Uh, they, they cut their momentum short because the sin is in their life. And I wanted to kind of look at this final chapter in Nehemiah and make that reference soon to our own life to see how when we're growing in our sanctification, there are going to be things that's going to stunt our growth. And my hope is that as we, if we identify these things or and, and identify these markers in our life, that we will um, make sure that we can keep the momentum going in our life, in our spiritual life, that we continue to grow in that way, that um, as we're faithful to God, uh, we can continue to work, um, you know, live our life to, to its fullest and the most God-honoring and the Lord will bless us through it. So that's what we're going to look at this week. Um, I have five points for us. Uh, I'm going to just 
for today just kind of just talk over give a big picture of the text and then for the rest of the week uh, depending how each point goes uh, I'm just gonna go over all five of the points but this is uh, the reading of God's Word right now, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, they read aloud from the book of Moses and the hearing of the people. Um, and there was found written in it, no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So when they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. Now, this part is... Um, Giving, giving a little context here, uh, Nehemiah is actually not here in this chapter, at least at this point. He comes back later on, but in verse 6, uh, it says that he was gone because he went back to, to, uh, to Babylon to you know, basically talk to the king to give him an update of what's going on. Uh, but at this, but there were some people reading God's word, and then the Israelites understood uh, that there should be no Ammonite or Moabite. And this is, again, not an ethnic issue. Um, there was more of a religious issue. Um, the Ammonites and Moabites appeared early on in this book uh, because there were, you know, the, some of the Israelites were uh, intermarrying, interfaith marrying. It wasn't that they were uh, marrying other people of different ethnicity, but that they mingled their religion with the pagan religion. Uh, and when the, re the book was read to them, they realized their sin and then they, uh, they, they took out those, um, those basically pagan worshippers. And excluded them from the land. Verse 4. Now prior to this, Elishib, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our, gar, of our God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him, where formerly put the grain offering, the frankincense, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and gatekeepers, and the contrib contribution for the priests. So there was this individual, uh, this Tobiah, he is an enemy, he's an Ammonite, and he's actually... Um, he hates the Jews, and uh, he just because of his relationship to this Elishib, this priest, uh, he somehow wormed his way into the temple, the temple that was originally used for the priest to, to stay, as well as um, uh, the place where they store all their supplies for worship. Uh, it became a place where a pagan guy was living in there, and um, he just, yeah, he, he had a little quarter. He was inside the temple of God. Verse 6, but during all this time I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Arius, the king of Babylon had gone to the king. After some time, however, I asked leave from the king. So, yeah, at this time, uh, after Nehemiah, at the end of chapter 12, at some point, everything was set into place. Nehemiah went back. He thought, okay, well, I'm done here for now. I'll be back soon. And he went to report to the king. This is a lot of ways in the New Testament we see that as well when, like, Paul, he's preaching somewhere. He establishes a church, and he leaves, and he comes back. He hears bad news. This is what's going on here. Nehemiah leaves, and he comes back, and he hears all these things going on that, like, the, you know, like, um, the this guy, Tobiah, is now in the temple of God. And there's actually more things that comes up. And it says here, verse 7, I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Elishab had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the course of the house of God. It was very displeasing to me, so I threw out all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. You know, then I gave an order, and they cleansed the room room and i returned there the utensils of the house of god with the grain offering and frankincense this means that um this guy the, this, these jews these priests they they, they removed all the things that was actually for, designed for worship so it wasn't even like these things were still in the room they took it all out which is in a lot of ways a symbol and a gesture of, of like okay we don't want to worship god anymore um they used it not even for a pagan god but rather for this uh this pagan worshiper so it's not even like they put another temple or, or a, a god in there but it's just this guy living in there that believes in another god 
and then you know Nimai came he he did some radical moves here he cleansed the temple he moved everything out he threw out all of the um, household goods and then he ordered people to clean the place verse 10 I also discovered that the portion the Levites had not been given them so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away each to his own field. Again, the Levites were unique in that they didn't have their own territory. They were supposed to be supported by the t uh, in the temple. That was just part of the way the Levitical system. And people stopped giving to the priests and they were unable to sustain themselves. So then they went about their own ways. Verse 11. So I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. All Judah then brought the tithe of grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. In charge of the storehouses I have appointed Shalakim, the priest, Zadak, the scribe, Pediah, the Levites, of the Levites, and in addition to them was Hannah, the son of Zachar, the son of Metaniah, for they were considerable reliable, and it was uh, their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Remember me, uh, for this, oh my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds which I have performed for the house of God, uh, for the house of my God, and his services. So the people there, uh, to, so Nehemiah came back and he just brought back everyone that he that needed to to uh, you do the work. And he said that these individuals were reliable. And you know that's something that um, just all the way back in Exodus uh, when uh, Jethro, the Jethro principle, same thing. Like uh, God told Moses, hey, uh, oh no, sorry, not God. Uh, Moses' father-in-law told him, hey, you cannot do this on your own. Find other reliable individuals so that you can go and do, do the, some of the ministry while everyone else does other ministry. So that you cannot do all these things because it's, it's going it's to wear you out. And we, we, we understand this principle applied even to our church. The pastors and the elders cannot do every single thing. So we delegate. We, we delegate those based on their faithfulness to the Lord and their effectiveness in the ministry. And they go and do the ministry. We do our best to encourage them, to equip them, and empower them to go and, um, and do whatever they feel is best that the Lord calls them to do. Uh, and because of their faithfulness first to the Lord, they will be faithful to other people in the ministry. So, yeah, this is what Nehemiah does. He, he points individuals for the sake of this task. Verse 15, In those days I saw Judah and some who were tre treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sack of grain and loading them on donkeys, as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, and they brought them to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them on the day they sold food. Also men of Tyre were living uh, there who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said, What is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same so that God brought on us and on this city all this trouble? You are adding to the wrath of Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Now, you have to understand the Sabbath rule in the Old Testament was a big deal. Uh, you know, we understand this is one of the uh, Ten Commandments, and this is a day where God instituted for the people to rest. Um, in our Western world, in America, we have, uh, you know, two out of five days where we rest, and some of you probably rest more because you may your, your life just looks like that. But the, the biblical sense is that you should have a day of rest, at least. Um, and... Uh, and the Lord gave the Sabbath, and then there's supposed to be a symbol of like God resting, and people will trust the Lord. And the uh, in in Numbers, uh, they were supposed to in the wilderness. There's uh, the Lord will give them extra food the day before the Sabbath, so that they could be sustained uh, on the Sabbath without having to work. This picture of these Israelites choosing to work on the Sabbath, saying that essentially they don't care about. Um, 
about uh, tr they don't they don't care about the Lord and they don't trust the Lord. They don't trust that the Lord will is willing to uh, provide for them. So they have to work. They think that you know by working seven days that the Lord will bless them, not realizing that that's actually uh, um, going to hinder them from the Lord's blessing. Which is why Nehemiah confronted them on their sin. He's saying that why are you doing this? It's profaning the Sabbath. Verse nineteen. It came about that just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded the doors should be shut and they should not open them until after the Sabbath. Then I stationed some of the servants at the gates so that no load would enter on the Sabbath. Once or twice the traders and merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. From that time, uh, from that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. I see this. I think the scene is so hilarious to me because it's basically he closes the door and the people, all the Gentiles are out there like, okay, I guess we'll work out here. And then uh, Nehemiah gets so frustrated. He didn't even want the Israelites to be tempted. You know, maybe they could smell the fish or things from the other side of the wall. And he tells them to leave or I'm going to force it out of you. And then you remember, Nehemiah is a politician. So he knows how to make things get things done and um he threatens them essentially he threatens these gentiles and said don't do this and then yeah, afterwards <clears throat> he they, these gentiles stop coming verse 22 and i command the levites that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers sanctify the sabbath for this also remember me oh my god and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness verse 23 in those days i saw that the jews married women of Ashdod, Ammonite, and Moab. As for their children, half spoke the language of Ashdod, none of them spoke the language of Judah, but um, the language of his own people. So uh, they, again, the Israelites fell into the same exact sin. They went back into marrying other women. Uh, when Nehemiah was gone, he comes back, he sees us again, and, he, and then what's worse that these kids, some of these kids don't even know how to speak the Jewish language. I don't know if this matters so much to English-speaking world, because we are in an English-speaking yeah, we're, we're English speakers and English-speaking world. But it's actually a very big deal if you're not from this country. Uh, where, you know, Me, personally, I understand the significance of learning the language or dialect of your people. So for me, I'm Chinese. It's important to know Chinese in that culture because it seems like if you don't know Chinese, you're betraying that culture. Uh, and, and you have to understand why that is because language oftentimes is connected to ideas and thoughts and concepts. So with an Ammonite, or these kids don't know the Jewish language, they, it's not just not knowing the Jewish language in, in terms of communicating, but it's that they don't know how to worship God. They don't know the conceptual things that are related to the Lord. Language is connected to your thought. And when they're learning another language, especially not the one of, of Israel, you know, Jew, the Hebrew, uh, they're essentially saying that they don't know God. Now, I'm not saying that like the only way to know God is through the language, but it's just that uh, it, it just speaks a lot of the thought and cultural setting that it, they need to know the language so that they can worship God appropriately. And that, that means that like the parents were not teaching them the Torah. The parents were not teaching them God's word, so they don't know it. And this was a great offense to Nehemiah. So verse 25, so I contended with them and cursed them and struck them on, <laughs> shook some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughter to their sons nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin regarding these things? Yet among the many nations who was, there was no king like him. He was loved by God and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the former caused even him to sin. So again, this is kind of like before when he's like, did you not remember our forefathers? This is uh, obviously the, 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 the Jews have forgotten 
that the reason why they are in this state is because their forefathers before fell in the same sin. So Nehemiah is saying, like, how could you for, how could you go back into the thing that's brought us to this mess to begin with? Do you not did you not remember what the God's what God's word has to say? And again, this should be something that we need to see value in our own hearts. That there are a lot of people that failed in Scripture, and there's a lot of people that failed spiritually in our lives that we know about, and yet it's so strange that we will still fall into the same sin same category of sins uh, we need to be people that like understand and see the folly of their ways and learn from it so that we don't fall into sin verse 28 even son of the son even some even one of the sons of Jediah, um the son of elisha the high priest was a son-in-law of sanballat the horonite so i drove him away from me sanballat remember this is a guy that was early on in the book that um you know, nehemiah chapter 2 uh, the one that was like going against Nehemiah, he was the enemy of the Jews, and one of them was related to them because of this intermarriage uh, thing, and he drove them away. And um, you know, Nehemiah was cleaning house, not just the temple, but he was also cleaning. Again, this will be a symbol of of what's going on spiritually as well. That when Nehemiah returns every single time, he's he's helping reestablish what God wants in the temple, external and also what's internal in the person as well. Uh, verse 30, Thus I purified them from everything, foreign and appointed duties for the priests and the Levites, each in his task. And I arranged for the supply of wood at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. So Nehemiah ends with this very sad note. He, like, he's repenting, or he's causing, he's rebuking um, the Israelites, again, for their same sins that, they, that their forefather has committed. And this is a hard work. And again, he is not actually a priest. He's a politician, so he just feels like just having to do what is pleasing the Lord. And this, again, this is something that all of us have to struggle with. When in this life we're going to find ourselves backsliding to sin, there are going to be moments where we'll grow rapidly, we'll grow um, in, in leaps and bounds. But when we fall into sin, when we uh, compromise, these things are going to hinder us from honoring the Lord. So this week, that's actually where we're going to look at how can we keep the spiritual momentum going in our lives? Um, how can we keep uh, ourselves from falling back into our own, uh, our former life? Five, uh, five of them, list, I'll just list them all now. First, you need to obey God's word. Second, you need to discipline sin. We're sinners. Third, you need to honor uh, worshiping the Lord. Four, don't, uh, don't work like the world. And lastly, don't marry the world. Uh, none of these, uh, most of these don't, don't rhyme, and I think that's fine. I'm just trying to draw some final principles for us as we reach the end of this uh, chapter in this book. Um, I hope, again, this is going to, I hope this, this is an exciting study for me, and I hope it will be uh, ex interesting for you as well as you think about how you can continue to motivate yourself to honor the Lord each and every single day of your life. Thank you for listening. Take care and have a good day.